0: Welcome to Women of Character, Barrier Busters. I'm Ann Quiello, Senior Consultant and Executive Coach at the Turknet Leadership Group, and in this podcast, I'll explore how women build and sustain character in all kinds of challenging contexts. Like the challenges women are facing today in the workplace due to the pandemic, there's ongoing issues of equality and inclusion, letting go of self-limiting beliefs, and a lot more. We're going to get their insights to how they've persevered, how they've busted barriers and achieved amazing heights. So today I get to talk with Elise Hammett, the very vivacious vice president of marketing communication for the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. Elise is a veteran of marketing communications with a highly successful award-winning track record of transforming brand messaging for some of Atlanta's largest organizations. And together with two partners, she actually conceived and built a marketing communication business called EOS, and that's named for the Greek goddess of dawn. And since then, she's enjoyed multi-year retainers, spectacular organic growth throughout the great recession, national awards, and the ultimate sale of this 16 person and then multi-million dollar division to a regional player. And then in 2015, Elise took her talents to the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta, and she created the then 64 year old regional endowment's first marketing communications department. And the results? Well, the Community Foundation of Atlanta is regionally recognized as Atlanta's home for philanthropy, and post the COVID 19 response, they're building rapport as the organization who brings stakeholders together to tackle the most critical issues of the Atlanta region. So I want to bring in Elise now and find out a lot more about her journey. Welcome, Elise. Thanks. It's so great <laughs> to be with you, Anne. Uh, well, I know I made your journey sound kind of easy, didn't I? You did. Uh, But it's not. just a magic wand, right? Yeah, right. But I understand it wasn't as easy as it seems, um, especially as a child growing up in middle Georgia. Uh, What was it uh, about your growing up experience that has served you well or maybe created barriers uh, to this journey of yours? Mm.
1: Well, that is a deep and complex thing. And and as I think about what you've asked me, I I would really like to make Four points to answer your question. And I want to hope that these four points reach one of those who are listening, reach their hearts and minds, because this is why they've turned in to listen to us today. They are seeking truth to learn through the phenomenal tools that um, you and and your TurkNet colleagues provide for our community. I I really believe um, that by being on this platform, you're endorsing my work and I yours. And I think that the brand promise is not taken lightly. So thank you for inviting and welcoming me to share today. Um, So my points, point number one. So communications is really part art and part science. Therefore the, the IQ and the EQ, they must be in parallel tracks for communication leaders to be truly successful. When the C-suite team and all of those that gather around a communications person understand the real why they are doing something, um, both personally and professionally, then they can do seemingly impossible tasks. For a girl that grew up in a middle-class, middle Georgia family, staying focused on my why was the truth upon which my career has truly catapulted. So let me tell you about what, how that happened. Point two is that I lost three fathers to Lou Gehrig's a brain aneurysm and suicide early in my life. My resilient mother. And my Methodist preacher grandparents raised me to believe that all things are possible, even with these traumatic experiences going on at a very young age. Um, And they helped bring those things to life, you know, not only in the pulpit, but how they walked and talked every day. Those life lessons that taught me empathy for the human condition and the moxie to achieve what were impossible dreams. So that leads me to point number three. So at age 10, the year was 1976, which was the year Jimmy Carter was president. I portrayed Scout in Harper Lee's epic To Kill a Mockingbird on the little theater stage. That was the genesis of rock and roll. It was also the genesis of dialogue about what really, what racism meant. Um, People were really beginning to just open up and start talking about it then, Ann. And golly, you know, that book is about a black man who is wrongly accused of raping a white woman. So at 10, my family is teaching me about sex, about bias, about racism, about the Constitution and our American rights as men and women. Oh, my God, that was so heavy at age 10. <laughs> that play ran for 30 days, but the impact became a fundamental axis of my life. Because I understood Scout's ability as the storyteller in the show, in the in the book to make an enduring difference and an impact on her world well that evolved for me into oratorical debate in high school which ultimately resulted in early admission to Emory, paid for by oratorical scholarships that i earned and won through clubs like optimist rotary kiwanis and more point number four <laughs> Sorry, I feel like this is long way to finish. I'm really getting to something with these points.
0: That's okay. They're powerful.
1: And the last, the last point is um, the summer between my freshman year and sophomore year at Emory, um, I lost my stepfather to a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Uh, had I not won and accepted Emory's early entrance offer, I would have been graduating from high school. And I most surely would have stayed with my emotionally exhausted family um, to help everybody heal. But my family knew the potential of Emory University on my life. So in that year, I learned about the resilience to fight for one's soul, to to search in the darkness of night for hope, um, and to reach out to a stranger with empathy and love for priceless lessons learned. And it really changed and made this trajectory in my life.
0: Wow, that is powerful. And what comes to my mind is how forming in our early years, so significant events are to our belief systems, to our values, and then what ultimately, for you, created your path, your journey, uh, that might not have happened. So there was some tragedy, but also some gifts and opportunities involved, it sounds like, in, in your description. Well, in what ways has your why manifested itself in your life's work now?
1: Yes, yeah, so, you know, um, and we are both obviously communicators, and um, we understand the impact of words and how much words really matter. Um, And so as communications professionals, the why is truly at the corpus of anything that I get to do as a communications planner and implementer. Um, So think about it. We build communications programming for organizations and brands And when we do that, we ask ourselves really basic questions like, what do we want to be? What is our ultimate goal? Who do we want to influence? Why do those people care? Um, What is the behavior change that we're seeking to accomplish through this communications process? How do we measure success? How do we know we've gotten there? Um, Are we getting the behavior change that we tried to garner? So when I think about my own upbringing experiences and how those impacted literally the air I breathe, the DNA of who I am, um, this mode of thinking and action every day to try and cone and hull ways to make the communications sharper, uh, ultimately led to this belief that I could use these tools uh, to make life better for my fellow human beings and um, to drive ethical communications for the target audience I had the blessing and pleasure to serve.
0: It sounds to me that you're telling their story in a very authentic way by asking that basic question. Um, You can tell a story about any organization that can create their brand, but if it's not authentic... I wouldn't think it would be sustainable. So similar to what you just did with your own why, taking your own why and creating the authentic Elise and uh, expressing that authenticity in all that you do, because you are very clear about your why, then you're able to do that for organizations as well. Have I got that right?
1: That's exactly right. And really push on them, you know, to, to do that deep, hard work. Because I really believe that once you once you understand the why, that everything else, it, it becomes so much easier to, um, to, to manage
0: and work through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's just go back to your journey again. What do you remember about your very first gig?
1: Oh, my gosh. So I was so blessed. The Emory University System of Healthcare gave me my first real gig and I got to see true marketing communications magic that happened there. So there was a guy who was over it, his name was Dr. Michael M. E. Johns, and he was the CEO and he had this big goal, and it was to be in the top 25 healthcare systems in the country. Now, back then, Emory was just like, you know, it was known around the state, but it, pro- it probably wasn't even known around the region. So to be listed in top 25 in the country, I mean, that was just, that was zealot. And in order to do that, the marketing communications department, this is my first real job, they had to transform what was then 48 Different subspecialty brands with their own logo, their own name, their own nomenclature. It was in the, you know in this network cobbled together as the Emory University System of Healthcare into one brand, so that we could begin competing on the national stage. I got to work for the incredible, indomitable Una Newman and she with her death strategy partnered with Dr. Johns to do this and Emory broke through that top 25 record of best healthcare systems determined by the U.S. News and World Report's imminent list and it forever changed the trajectory of the university. It forever changed it and it's so interesting you know because in the serendipitous thread of my career tapestry it just got more and more interesting because I got to write a speech um, about this transformational journey now remember I got to go to Emory because I won these oratorical speech contests so now I'm writing a speech for Dr. Johns to give about this journey and there were some executives at a little place called Bell South and those executives heard that speech and they came a calling into what would become my next transformational role.
0: <laughs> Quite a first kick. <laughs> so let me, let me ask you to go back even further. How, how did you end up choosing this field of marketing communications? And as a follow on, what, what kinds of skills or knowledge did you have to draw on to be that successful expert that you are?
1: Uh, Okay. So I'll answer the first one. What led me into the field? So in the field of marketing communication. So at Emory, I was in the liberal arts college, which really taught me how to think because of this oratorical success in high school and, you know, earning these, these scholarships to Emory. My college career counselor at Emory suggested that I take an internship in a PR department where I would write speeches for the executives. I didn't even know what PR was. I had to go go to the library, Woodruff Library, and look up what public (laughs) PR was. I had no idea what she was talking about, and I was too embarrassed to ask. Um, That was really sage advice. So when I graduated from Emory, I had had four communications internships under my belt and then there was this awesome opportunity for an entry-level spot in Emory University System's of Healthcare's uh, Marcom department and I went to work for Una Newman. So for the second question which was what were the the kinds of knowledge and skills that I used to draw on to be really successful? Well, so I did all this great work for UNA, and I, I saw that right. I saw that magical thing where Emory hit the top twenty-five list, and then I wrote this speech for Bell South, and I got this new job at Bell. Um, and and I loved I loved the job at Bell, but I ended up being passed over for a really big promotion. <laughs> Part of the package with the promotion was you got your own parking spot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's huge. I didn't get my own parking spot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I I really was sad about it. And I finally figured out that the reason I was passed over was because I could not articulate business goals in terms of communications architecture that resulted in return on investment for Bell South stakeholders. When you're a publicly traded company, Return on investment for stakeholders is the end-all, be-all, lifeblood of the organization. So when I lost that promo, I went back to the educational well. I was trying to figure out, you know, where could I get a master's degree? But honestly, Ann, I could not juggle my 45-50-hour week job at Bell, a toddler, my husband on his own career ladder, I know all these women who are out here listening with me, they know the grind I'm talking about. (laughs) That's when I decided to pursue a certification in communications through the Public Relations Society of America. This certification is similar to a CPA for the accounting industry. It's a universal accreditation known as the APR. It is the gold standard for communications practitioners. It provides the knowledge, the skills, and the abilities to articulate in writing and in speech, a communications framework for getting to the why of all things. It gave me the ability to show the connection between communications and the business bottom line, the proof of the ROI that I was missing at that Bell South table, and to communicate easily with C-suite level personnel um, to folks leading multinational companies. Um, and, and today I use it with the board of directors here at the Community Foundation. The APR exam and its daily practicing Are similar to a person that would follow a yoga practice or a person who lives out um, their daily life with their in their Judeo-Christian faith journey, but it's the daily practice, is what I'm getting at, that ultimately catapulted my career.
0: And so two things. One is I know now that you are very clear what PR means. No longer do you have to look that up. But second of all, you know, university degrees for those who you just addressed, those who are in the similar grind of trying to achieve credibility through university degrees while raising a family, managing work life, and so on. Sometimes an advanced degree can be wonderful in terms of networking. But its shelf life may not be as strong as you need it to be, whereas a certification program may require continuing education, continuing uh, follow through on different kinds of requirements that keeps you current, that keeps that shelf life right.
1: Yeah, because I have to do 80 hours of continuing education credits mm-hmm. um, each year. And let me tell you, when I, was doing, when I was doing that after I got my accreditation and Bell South was at that time transforming folks from the landline telephone to, um, you know, the handheld communications device, right? Um, so I really had, it was a wonderful lesson for me because I was applying as I was learning, applying as I was learning. Mm-hmm. Montessori methodology is what they call that.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, then you went on to build your own marketing communication company. Um, how did you decide to do that? And then I'm curious about what was, if you would reveal it, what was the secret sauce that uh, made it so successful and attractive to uh, the company that acquired it?
1: Yeah, so and I was at Bell almost a decade and I learned so much things to do. And I also learned things to guard against. It was a man's world at Bell South. I think even the men would say that to you. Um, And I, I learned a great deal from the executives there. But I also itched. I itched for freedom to test how far I could fly. The entrepreneurial spirit was really getting into me and I wanted to test that. So when Susan and Margaret Um, came along and they had this idea about forming an agency centered around the ethos of Eos, the Greek goddess of dawn. It was so powerful. I mean, bottom line, and who could say no to a goddess? (laughs) You know, I mean, Eos's job in Greek mythology was to bring Zeus every new day and the fresh perspective to go along with it. So imagine that being your vision, your ethos every day to wake up with that. So we decided to build a company around that that was fortified and grounded in the accreditation principles that I mentioned to you, which are very ethically based and a, you know, a a template for how you move forward. The outcomes spoke for themselves. We had multi-year retainer clients. We had spectacular organic growth through the Great Recession. We won national awards and we ultimately sold to a regional player. The interesting thing was, I don't think there was any secret sauce at EOS, Anne, but I could gladly point to this third-party PRSA endorsed methodology for every new business pitch because we zealously pursued it and we built this business around these teachings. We rarely lost business. We grew, we grew to an unbelievable number of employees in just five short years and we sold the agency.
0: Wow. That's, that's a lot of focus and that's a lot of unity around that vision that you held so dearly. So what a great story. I love the name of the organization. That is phenomenal. Well, Elise, if you had to do it all over again, uh, is there anything you'd do differently?
1: Oh, yeah. I'd definitely be more curious, more daring. I'd put my Wonder Woman t-shirt on faster. You know, I would have read more. I would have listened to different types of music. I would have explored more outside. I, I should have stretched my perspective earlier. I was raised to be this good girl. You know, I was a preacher's kid. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, sir. And always to be grateful. And, and I wish I had thought if I could have engaged more to learn to push back in a nice way, but to say, have you considered or could we look at this from another view? Those kinds of things. And I think if I had felt more sure in my red shoes, you know, if I had been able to tap my red shoes like Dorothy did faster and claim it and move it. I could I could be doing more now. Mm.
0: Those are profound words, and we know through research that women leaders, particularly, have greater issues with self confidence than men do, and a lot of it has to do with being raised to be that good girl, pay attention in class, uh, and um, versus the boys who are out on the playground pushing each other around, hurting themselves, busting their noses, and so on and so forth, where they learn to pick themselves up and keep on going. So those are really profound words. Well, so now you're promoting the good work of the Community Foundation of Atlanta. Um, So I'm curious, what excites you most about this role you have in proclaiming, I should say, the goodness of this organization?
1: Oh my gosh, Anne, isn't it so interesting how we have these seasons in our lives? So at the Community Foundation, We fundamentally believe that every single person deserves a fair shot at a decent life. Isn't it serendipitous that that would be my life's work now after thinking about the seasons I have already been through? Because think about it. The first thing would be, That premise is exactly what Atticus Finch was fighting for in the courtroom in To Kill a Mockingbird. That is exactly the fundamental of what my Methodist heritage taught me. That is what exactly came to life when Margaret, Susan, and I were growing EOS, these three smart women pursuing each new day with a fresh perspective as female business owners, working to give every client we served a fair shot at success. And now here at the Community Foundation, we are working towards equity and shared prosperity for all. Now, (laughs) I got to tell you, Ann, this work is not for the faint
0: of heart. (laughs) Not the way you've described it, (laughs) especially in the city that we live in. Right? Because we live in the city.
1: Atlanta is number one city in the nation for income inequality. The number one city, that is something that we are not proud to be number one for
0: No, no. that's hard to um, believe too if that is it, very hard it's to really believe.
1: hard to believe but when it comes out of somebody like the Brookings Institute mm-hmm. and is proclaimed in newspapers across the country it's not fake news <laughs> um and so I have seen Atlanta in its best and at its worst in the six years that I have been in this role and especially over the last 20 months as the pandemic's wrath has just washed over our this beautiful region that we both love. You know, your zip code should not determine your destiny. So literally, if you are born in Buckhead, you are predicted to live 12 years longer than if you are born in Bankhead, which are less than three miles away from each other. And we've just got to make changes in our systems, across our neighborhoods, block by block, family by family, to ensure that everyone gets a fair shot at this life.
0: And a fair shot to also break the generational poverty that exists. Yes. That's, that is the toughest part, I would think of the work that you do is to be able to make an impact on the generational poverty so that it is not passed on from one generation to the other.
1: Right. Which starts in systems, right? And how we educate and how we start the earliest of development in the pediatrician's office and making healthy choices available, right? No food, we have to get rid of food deserts so that kids can have access to to healthy foods and we have to have workforce development so that workers can make enough to be able to enjoy squash and what we buy in the market. Mm -hmm. Yes, you're right. So for those who are listening, I really encourage you to go to the Community Foundation's website. Just Google us. The strategic plan that we're introducing is called Together ATL. Because we believe that together, ATL can be a better place. And we've got a strategic plan that Frank talks to you about our CEO, about how we're going to get there. So please check, take a look. You can watch a great little, great little three-minute video. And I hope it sets your heart on fire.
0: I'm so glad that you all exist. I'm so glad. All right. So just one last question. What is your advice, Elise, for anyone who's listening who may be searching for their why?
1: Um, Okay. I can think of three or four things top of mind. One is that you should do a personal creative brief. I want you to outline on one page, just one page, why you exist, what you want to be, and how you're going to get there. If you want a template, if you will email me at Elise Hammett at the Community Foundation, I will get you one. I believe in a creative brief process for the person so much and keeping it on one page so that it's easy to reflect upon as you move forward in the ups and downs of this thing called life. The second end that I can think of is required reading in Philosophy 101 is Viktor Frankl's book, A Man's Search for Meeting. It is a wonderful book. It is not a long book. It's probably maybe a hundred pages. My CEO Frank Fernandez reminded me of it recently. We have a shared love for this book. Victor survived Auschwitz and he poignantly explains how getting to your why is so important and how he made it through. I I can't even imagine the despair of Auschwitz, but he made it through. And then he talks to you about the three reasons around man's search for meaning and how the meaning applies in your life. It's really a great book. The third is if you want a quicker lesson, Brene Brown did a TED Talk in 2010. This was before she was famous, before she had a makeup artist, (laughs) before she had a a wardrobe expert, but look it up. It's a 2010 TED Talk, um, and it is on vulnerability. That's the topic, but she talks all about finding your why and being vulnerable to Changing your behavior for good forever by pursuing that why.
0: Mm. Wow, Elise, that's phenomenal. And thank you for being so instructional. Um, I want to make sure that our listeners got your email address correctly. So uh, spell out, if you would, your full name and uh, the address.
1: It's E. Hammett. H-A-M-M-E-T-T at C for community, F for foundation, and then greateratlanta.org. C for community, F for foundation, and then greateratlanta.org.
0: Well, thank you so much for your generosity um, in revealing all of your secrets <laughs> to your success. and But to help others uh, along the way, this is going to be very, very helpful. And I do want to encourage, yes, go ahead.
1: One thing I want to add. Can I add one more thing? Is it please, too late? Please. Okay. So I, w- I also would want to say, you know, that you need to search for women who can be your mentors and your champions because women know how to hold each other accountable, and they do. that. We do it in really good ways. I worked for Alicia Phillip, for example, who led the Community Foundation as its president and CEO for 43 years. She retired in 2020. From the 70s to the 90s, That woman was the only woman in a room of white male leaders who were making decisions about this region. She was a barrier buster in the truest sense of the word, and I have really learned some incredible golden nuggets from her because she not only taught them to me, but then she held me accountable to do them. She's the one who made me fearless. I'd say, I mean, you know, people like Susan and Margaret, my partners at EOS, my mother and my aunts who made me resilient growing up, there are bright lights that push us further. I want to add that number four in that all of our women listeners out there, get yourself a mentor and a champ. Mm -hmm.
0: And you can be fearless and all of the adjectives that you described as this wonderful woman mentored you to be without losing your why and without losing your authenticity. Have I got that right?
1: That's right. And, and don't lose those values either. Mm-hmm. You know, I hope my Methodist minister grandfather looks down on me and smiles because he sees me doing what I'm doing fearlessly, but I'm still trying I'm, I fail, Anne, but I try every day to walk my
0: talk. <laughs> and I only wish the listeners could see your face and see the joy in it. So everyone, thank you so much for listening. Elise, thank you so much for your time and your contributions to everyone's development who's listened in. You're remarkable. And
1: thank you to Turnet Leadership Group and all you have provided us over many, many years.
0: Oh, you're very welcome. You take good care, Elise.